Uh, welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade film movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. Cal. Cal. I'm just looking at myself in the mirror. Sorry. But, but, but hey, but Will, we got cows here. I think it's the same one. And it's, oh, it's me. yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. It's the same cow. <laughs> That's me. Folks, this is, a, this is a show on a podcast and not YouTube to see, said cow. But ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah, I'm pointing at myself. You can't see what I'm pointing no, at. So. No, we, we sure can't. But our imagination took us there anyway. So nice work. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you folks. This is all for Tanner's for sake. We're shared passions and high fives. Wash away any place for hate. Uh, no matter what, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on this week. It's going to be an easy one. This is Triple Love. And we're welcoming back to the show for the second recording, Joel Winstead of the North uh, North Carolina Film Critics Association and the podcast of, uh, and the winner was. Uh, so welcome back, Joel. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't pick any movies you guys didn't hate, but, you know, here we are. No, that's all right. We we have it. I don't think me and Don have picked anything we've hated, and like we have not been having cinephile hissy fits. We have been having like cinephile love fest. I don't know. You, you Barbara Vandenberg would beg to differ. We we get her on, and we we just kind of depends your ability to rate movies, and that becomes the hissy fit on its own. Well, yeah, sure, but I'm just saying in the last. I mean, we've had I mean, it pretty maybe easy. maybe because I liked Superman four. That's a hissy fit. Because I'm like yeah. the only person in the world who likes that movie. Yeah. Um, but really, I mean, it's been smooth sailing lately. We haven't really had a lot of hissy fits. So time time to put on the nice guys. Then time to get another shitty Tarantino well, overwrought Chatty Cathy movie. And then it's all back to I the usual comparison. The nice guys is a masterpiece. But anyway, it is a masterpiece. Yeah. Thank you, Joel. This is why I have you on the show. <laughs> nice guys is like top fifteen for me all time. It's amazing. The script is. Correct. Fantastic. And the acting is insane. Yeah. Uh, insanely good. Two of my favorite actors of all time, oh, Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. So yeah. this is not an episode on no. the nice guys, because if it yeah. was, I should, because me and Joel would just. You guys could circle jerk that one. together, fellas. Good job. We would yeah, circle we jerk the living shit out of yeah. each other. Um, yes. Dehydrate. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, finish the intro. Hater. I will. No, Joel brought us here. Uh, guest choice every time. Uh, last time we had Joel, it was the Taking of Pelham 123, the 1974 original. Um, he said there's no way, no how he could not come on this show and not talk about Twister from 1996, the quintessential summer blockbuster in many opinions and in many hearts. Um, our format will be this. The guests will go first. Any lovers that are all three of us, because uh, it sounds like we all saw it about a half dozen or more times in the theater back in the day. So oh, yeah. we're just all going to take five minutes to practice load management, shower some praise, style some high-minded case. It's a running gag in this show about how much we can't hold our shit together. Um, there's going to be interrupted minutes where we're going to have some counterpoints and intellectual scorchers, but not really because we all love this movie and you should too. But one way or another, after we all kind of have our stumps and have our... <gasps> Moments of low management, we will try to go on for another 30 minutes after that where we smoke cigarettes and enjoy what we just did for the 15 minutes we all <laughs> talked on our own. So this is where the hissy fit really gets chippy and past the Marlboro Reds. Let's go. Uh, Joel, Twister, 1996, five all minutes right. of yours. Don, I'm going to ask you to keep score of my time because the last time I did this in the last episode, I got all nervous and um, I didn't take any notes. This is my, if you ask me on any given day, my favorite movie is Jurassic Park, Jaws, and Twister. Just it all just coalesces. Nice. To give you a little brief history on Joel, 
I was born in a very religious, strict household. I was not allowed to go to the movie theater. I was not allowed to watch a lot of movies. My dad would, uh, we would rent movies or we would buy VHSs and he would like self edit them where like any kind of cursing or any kind of like sexual innuendo or content or anything would be like, there would be like a blue screen. <laughs> and you'd be like, Oh, something <laughs> happened there. So that was how I watched Twister for the first uh, 785,000 times. But I was a kid. I grew up in the Midwest, Minnesota boy. And uh, I was obsessed with storms and bad weather. Obsessed, terrified, but obsessed. And then this movie came along. There were there were three VHS tapes that I had that literally I would I would I would watch it. I would hit rewind on the VCR, run downstairs, make a pizza, grab a coke, come back upstairs, push play, and like literally that was my day. Uh, it was Twister, Independence Day, and The Empire Strikes Back. So much so where those specific three movies. I wore the tapes out and we had to get new tapes. My dad had to re-edit them (laughs) for me. (laughs) Wow. But going to Twister, so my favorite actor of all time is Philip Seymour Hoffman. And this is my first exposure to Philip Seymour Hoffman. This is my first exposure to Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, fucking Alan Ruck, everybody. Um, And so... Uh, you put a little kid who's afraid of storms, but at the same time, like obsessed with them. And you put him in a, uh, the, the, the best kind of like the only movie about tornadoes and chasing tornadoes. I mean, it's just right up my alley, but not only is it that, but it has this, it's Jean de Bont, but I have, I have like a, a recurring, like uh, conspiracy theory that Steven Spielberg, like shadow directed this movie, or at least bits and pieces of it. Um, he's an executive producer. Um, this is very much, uh, a Spielberg could have, this could have been a Spielberg film. Like it, to me, it is a Spielberg film. John DeBont definitely is all over this movie. Um, but you know, like there's like a conspiracy theory about like poltergeist, how like Spielberg, like kind of shadow directed that and, and kind of took oh, it away. Sorry. Yeah. So, so I have that same conspiracy theory, but about Twister where it just, it just, it has that magic. It has that Spielberg magic which is which is the movie magic so you take something um same thing i feel about goonies like he didn't direct goonies but fucking steven spielberg's fingerprints all over goonies and it's it's the same feeling i get with twister and there's there's a couple elements that make twister what it is for me personally the first one is being that 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 kid that didn't watch a whole lot of you know i was watching like apple dumpling gang and i mean i was i was obsessed with movies any movie I could watch, I would get. But I was always, you know, Abbott and Costello and like all these like, you know, safe movies. And then like the older I got, the more that I, you know, ventured further and further. And then, you know, you know, I don't, you know, who goes to church anymore. But I, I just, you know, that's that's my so that so but this was my also like my gateway drug into horror films. Because this is also like a stealth slasher film. Mm-hmm. And or at the very least, a monster film. And so you had these elements like where the tornado was almost like chasing the Helen Hunt. And it's almost like this, this, you know, she's the final girl pretty much. And so there's these, these elements of horror. There's these elements of really cool, like bad weather, very disturbing images of bad weather. Isn't that, isn't that right? as way to PG 13. Um, and so you, you have a very, 
um, adolescent boy in, in Joel, who's just like, just taking it all in. Um, and, and, and then, it, and then it just becomes this, it's a team movie. Like the, the whole storm chasing crew, like Alan rock, fucking the guy that directed, um, tar, <laughs> um, <laughs> and you got Jeremy Davies, you got, you know, it's, it's a, it's a stellar, uh, Wendell Josephine is such a great cast. And, they all have their moments. They all have their time to shine, but they also all coalesce together. It's it's, they all like have their own channel on the radio. Like you are with this team and you're in it and you all hate Carrie always. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a great, it's got a, it's, it's got a great, it's got a great movement to it. It's, it's, it's scary. And it's, it's a roller coaster ride and it takes you, um, with Bill Paxton and Jamie Gertz. Um, and <laughs> there was a big Jamie Gertz talk before the episode. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that, I mean, that's, 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 you know, part of, part of who I am today is because of Twister. It's because of, it's because of, you know, part of my humor, part of who, like the reason why I like, you know, who I am is fucking dusty. Like I'm, I'm a little bit dusty. I'm a little bit Alan Ruck, you know, full of the maps. Kansas is a mess. Big crease through Wichita. Fold the map. Roll the map. Um, there, you know, there's lines I say from this movie. I mean, I could quote this begun to my head. You know, quote a movie front to back. I'm picking Twister. Um, it's just got a, it's got a lot of what makes movies magical, and it's got a lot of what what stirs the emotions in people. It's got fear. It's got love. It's got you know, the adrenaline packed fun. It's just, it's got, it's got everything and it's done very well. I got you. Um, you or me, Will. Well, what is, what's your ranking on this one? Five. You know, Cause it's in five. your top hundred, right? Stone cold five. Yeah. It's in top 20 easily. It's in the top, okay. Well then you go next. Cause I, okay, okay. Mine's in the top hundred, but not that high. Yeah. Right no, for me, um, I'm not too far away from Joel, despite all the, but without the, <laughs> the religious sense. Religious of trauma. No religious trauma. No, no, no religious trauma. Um, no, I saw this at the absolute perfect time where, um, 96, I would have been 17, you know, or, or on my way to my 17th birthday after being 16. It's my first summer of having a car and freedom. I was, uh, my first like full-time jobs where I was working like at McDonald's. I was a lifeguard at the YMCA and having a car and in the summer of 96, like the first summer you have that kind of young man's freedom. I, I found the movies like 96 is the year that I, same thing, like that formative experience that Joel was talking about. This was me in 96 where this is when I fell in love with movies. And this one was the first, first week of May hitter where this one was the must see thing being a Midwestern kid, same way, Illinois guy, tornado alley, um, where there was no way this didn't fascinate our section of the country. Like crazy where, um, again, same idea with like, you know, monster movie slash movie, but the idea of a weather movie, um, we hadn't seen natural disaster movies since like, you know, towering inferno and 1983's earthquake where like, this seemed like, how are they going to do this? Um, and I think they found it where like have the the look and scope of a disaster movie, but the the trappings and movement of a slasher monster movie, because the tornado, when you think about it, even the world's largest, you know, F5 tornado, you're only talking about something that's a mile wide. That's not a hurricane. That's not, uh, you know, uh, an iceberg. That's not any of the any any other thing. It's a very isolated 
you know, you don't know where it's going to be an unpredictable thing. And I think the unpredictability was the, was the fun part about it. Yet we have characters that are trying to predict it, but no, um, this, I could not stop seeing this movie in the theater. It, it was just, um, one of those experiences where this is what I, I kind of discovered. This is what the big screen can do. Like if I was three years younger, maybe I would have been that kid in Jurassic Park where if I caught Jurassic Park, at the age of 16, 17, that would be the holy cow. Wow. This is what surround sound is. This is what sound design is like the craft of movies. The, mm-hmm. you know, the craft of movies are starting to catch up and I was starting to realize and pick those things up too. And then to start noticing names, like to know, you know, Bill Paxton kind of being the, the, the ne'er do well in most other action movies, but here's a shot for him to be leading man. Um, I watched enough sitcoms where I knew who Helen Hunt was. And, but then like um, Joel said, you have this great cast that has now become all their own little legends on their own, you know, between PSH and we're talking like, you know, like you said, Alan Ruck, I saw and you know, Ferris Bueller and then Todd field look where he is now. And uh, Joey Slotnick, you have an amazing group of people and they all, they all just play so well together, the Midwestern setting, but then Yandabont, you know, just um, coming off of speed, uh, turned down Godzilla to do this movie, which was a smart decision for him. Cause this yeah. thing just raked. Um, but yeah, it, it just became the musty thing I had I, when uh, you guys probably remember this, you're old enough to know this where like there was all, there was that whole ecosystem of like the dollar theaters, which was like the second run stuff. Like you had, unlike today, you had many, many weeks where this was a first run movie. No problem. But by the time, like maybe August came around after this was out since May, it would go to like the dollar theaters where it was all the second run stuff. And that was like, Ooh, well, once it got there, you're like, I, I got to see it two more times because I'll, I don't know when I'm going to see this movie on the big screen. Again, you go home in a nineties household to a 27 inch tube television. It's never going to look and sound that good. So like, Oh man, I got to see it again. And this was one of those movies you racked up a half dozen t- times to see it. If it, was playing for an anniversary since then i would try to see it again can't wait for i mean it's now 4k and beautiful where it looks great at home but for a long time like you would just try to remember how damn good it looked and sounded on the big screen because it's one of those just event movies that captivated crowd like this is a um not quite the same as independence day later that summer but this was a hoot and holler audience participation communal experience like few other films and it's just I'm, I hate that they're trying to make a sequel to it. I don't want anything to do with Twisters. Um, but uh, yeah, just this one, this one was special. And it got me into got me into movies. It got me into writing in movies because I would take journalism for the first time that junior year after being 16. And away we go. Um, I'm like, Joel, this this movie got me here, too. And I, I, I'm blessed and just super stupendous to that. This one's still a Stone Cold favorite. It's, it's so good. Cosine. Yeah, I, it's funny <laughs> that Joel mentioned the Steven Spielberg conspiracy. I never thought about it, but it makes sense because I've been on record many times, uh, even as far back recently as a couple episodes when we talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark, that early Spielberg up until about Color Purple, you can re-edit some of his films. If he just did them a, a touch different, they'd be horror films. That's how, that's how Goody was at tapping into that fear and tension and stress, but also making it light and funny at the same time. And, you know, there's horror elements in E.T., there's horror elements in Close Encounters, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom for sure, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so now I've never heard that before, but now I'm intrigued. And, I, and it's, it's going to be one of those things now where I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to be like, fucking Joel, I, I can't. <laughs> now I can't think. 
That said, you know, I I also have a lot of firsts on this one. I was probably just a little bit younger than Don, a couple years, uh, 13, 14, maybe. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that, you know, influenced me. A lot of people will think that I sit through the credits because of Marvel. Not the case. I, this is the first movie that I remember I was with my mom. I saw it and Van Halen's playing because I'm a metal guy. And it's all these pictures of these beautiful storms and I'm watching the credits and my mom and I were just looked at just like, let's just stay and watch these. And we were the only ones in the theater. We're watching the credits. It's the first time. And, and Aaron white, a friend of the podcast is, is he summarized it for me in a way I couldn't, which is like, sometimes the credits are like your, that's your time to digest what you saw, and, but, but still kind of be in the film a little bit. And that's what I loved about the end credits of, of Twister is that, you're still in the storms. The music is kind of, you're kind of in that movie's, you're still in the movie's orbit, but you're taking stock of what you saw. And, and that leads to another first thing. This is probably the first movie that I really noticed how cinematography, lighting, tone, and sound design influences how you feel about a picture. I, I, this is one of the first films that I ever I ever saw where I was like, this is doing something to me. And, and I, I can see what they're doing technically, but I'm still able to suspend my disbelief to buy into the story. Um, you know, you guys mentioned, or I think it was Joel that mentioned that the slasher aspect, you know, you know, when that opening scene, I remember looking at my mom being like, is this going to be a supernatural movie? Because they made it. And and the brilliant part of that is, is that it is, you're kind of seeing it from a small girl's perspective. And obviously she talks about later when she's just like, Hey, that, that, that twister took out my dad. It's almost like it's personal. And there is kind of that, you know, slasher mentality. It's just brilliant filmmaking. But yeah, this is the first time I, I noticed sounds and I noticed music. I mean, this has got a pretty interesting soundtrack. I probably had this on cassette and CD, uh, and I still listen to some of the Van Halen tracks on this one. The shine on. I still listen to that one. And I, I see you, girl. <laughs> and I still listen to, um, I believe it's Respect the Wind is the end credits. It's like an eight-minute guitar solo. It's fantastic by Van Halen. Also, this movie, little little small little trinkets of things. Um, I saw the scene in the drive-in, and I was like, what is this movie? I gotta see this movie. So this this got me into Kubrick. This got me into The Shining because I wanted to know what the fuck these people were watching. But I, I I also remember it so distinctively. Like I don't know how to explain it, but like the fact that they were able to add the music, the imagery of The Shining and the tornado, and kind of that uh, that filmmaking style where like the flashes of lightning show you stuff and then it goes black and mixed in with the film. Like they managed to make The Shining like almost re-terrifying in retrospect because of the way they filmed it with everything. Just, I just think it's like a tour de force of just technical, beautiful filmmaking that all the, a lot of the stuff you guys said also applies to me, but these are some of the little, little trinkets that I, I I've noticed when I've thought about this film. Uh, obviously it gave my love of Bill Paxton. I mean, Bill Paxton was the kind of actor I love so much that like when he died, people were literally calling me, asking me if I was okay. I'm like, it's just, I'm not saying it's just Bill Paxton, but I'm like, it is an actor. I don't know him, but you know, it was, he was impactful to me. And this is probably one of my first, this, and I probably watched aliens at some point and saw him in that too, but you know, just so many important things. And I wonder if 
this seems to work on the nostalgia angle for us. And that's, that's true too. So I wonder how in this landscape, like if I, now I have shown this to my daughters when they were younger, my oldest was terrified. We had to turn it off. So it is, it definitely still packs a punch. Um, and, and real quick, I know I'm going over my time, but I did look up what the weather was. It is, or the rating, it is PG-13 for, um, well, the first one I saw was intense depiction of very bad weather. So I can only imagine Joel's dad <laughs> trying to figure that out. But I think, the, I think the Washington Post, maybe a little tongue in cheek, said that Twister is PG-13 for profanity, major thermal violence, and actors impersonating real people. So I don't know <laughs> how dare they, are they? But uh no, I, I just I can't say enough about this. I went longer than everybody else, but I could talk about Twister all freaking day. I, I just think, oh, and it is on my top hundred. It seems like it's too high on the list. I have it at 75, buttressed between In the Mouth of Madness at 74 and The Terminator at 76. So it keeps good company. company. But yeah. uh I, I also think that when I redo this next year with some new films that this is going to be higher because it's so impactful and hearing your guys' stories is even better because it's like, Holy shit, this is, it wasn't just me then. Uh, uh, yeah. So there you go. No, you make me look this up. Good job, man. No. Um, well here, before we get too carried away with the share conversation, let's take a quick break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. Hey, this is Charlie, Triple C, from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com. All right, welcome back. Uh, no, um, in my top 100, this thing has to be, has to be, top 20 i'd be stunned because we made our silly ass list earlier in this year it is yeah. number 25 yeah 25. that's good that's good yeah you know i i remember uh back you know this is before the internet you know i remember yeah. watching like entertainment tonight and i remember there was some kind of it wasn't an award thing because uh but it was some kind of gathering and bill pullman and bill paxton were together and i remember them hugging each other and Bill Paxton said, it's the summer of the bills. And it's true. But like, I, I bring that up a lot because I, I feel like, like if I told you that the main stars of the two biggest, the highest grossing films of 96, because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm safe to assume Twister's up there as well as Independence Day, obviously. I think but you're I, talking one, two there. Yeah, easily. one, two. But if you're, if you're talking check. like, yeah. if the, the stars of the box office leading films are Bill Pullman, and Bill Paxton, like that just doesn't happen anymore with maybe the exception of Marvel where you get like a, like a, a new guy like Chris Hemsworth or something, but it's usually the star power is the thing selling pictures now. And this was more spectacle first story first. And they, they really? got the best actors for the job. I see a lot of comp comp with this, with the way animation went as well, which is animation started just getting names instead of real actors for this. Could, could you slot in? I, I know Don uses this a lot where he's like, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis can do this, but can Daniel Day-Lewis do that? Like, can you, I mean, not only because we love the film so much, but like you could slot in like an action star of the time into the, into the role, the Bill Paxton role, but something about it wouldn't feel authentic. Like there, there's something True. about having the right actor 
not necessarily a box office draw. This, I mean, I, I Bill Paxton. Well, I he's still think. he's still tall, broad shouldered, but a country boy. You need a country yeah, but he's boy. Not, but he's also not like what I mean is he's not like I mean he probably had a handful of leading yeah. roles his entire career. He's not yeah. a leading actor, but no, he, he's like yeah. He reminds me of like James Garner, you know, back when he was doing like Rockford Files. Like he's just a stoic guy, but a jokey guy. But at the same time, not women. You know, he's not fighting off women with a stick and, and doing crazy stunts and stuff like that. Here, here's your top box office in '96: Independence Day, number one, three hundred six thousand or three hundred six million of that era's money. Twister, number two, two forty one. Mission Impossible three, The Rock four, Nutty Professor five, Ransom six. The Birdcage, seven, A Time mm. to Kill, eight, The 101 Dalmatians remake, nine, and The Ooh. First Wives Club, number 10. What a year. You know, is it? Who would have thought? I mean, I, I would have thought. Throw that shit out if, now. We're like, the, the top all, three in original movies, you know? But look, look at the top three. It's yeah. funny that we are in the summer right now with a new Mission Impossible coming out I know. in 2023. <sighs> if anything, I thought there'd be like six Independence Day sequels by now. Yeah, but there's right. only one from like a couple years ago. Like that's what blows my mind is that I, when I went and saw Mission Impossible, this probably the same summer. Yeah, you know Memorial uh, Day weekend. Yeah, like I remember that being like, like I, I never thought in a million years I'd see another Mission Impossible. However, many years later, it's just funny well, how the world works. I mean, right now we're living in a world right now where there's a new Indiana Jones in the theater. There's a new Mission Impossible, and there's something else that was probably in the theaters. You know, yeah, 30 years ago also. Well, I mean, you started to get to that era where week after week you'd have a banger because like May 10th was Twister, May 22nd, two weeks later was Mission Impossible. You get to one week later in June was The Rock. Two weeks later was Mission was June 28th and and Nutty Professor. Then you hit July 4th weekend, which was The mm-hmm. Rock, Independence Day, and Phenomenon, which was a, a mm-hmm. number 12, yeah, a fine yeah. Travolta film. You have your usual third week of June release of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and it just keeps going. A time to Kill in July. You have it just it's just huge. It, and that's, oh, I, that's what I, like I was saying about being in, the, in that time and era. Like I was an entertainment weekly reader and a permit reader. And like this summer just looked like it mattered for like that demographic of fun. Well, it's like the, you know, the mid nineties is like the heyday of like <sighs> balls, to the walls, blockbuster films. And all Man, the, yeah. all the kids that watch those, are growing up and they're making these movies now. And like, I we're know. kind of seeing yeah. this resurgence of like comic book movies, like, you know, like this, like of these like blockbusters, but to piggyback off what you were saying before about Bill Paxton and, and like how, like, you know, he's just, wasn't like a star kind of guy. Like he wasn't like the leading role kind of guy. The original role for this was Tom Hanks. He read lines and he, he chose the character's wardrobe, which they kept but he dropped out in pre-production because he said that it wasn't what I was trying to do with my career at the time. It called for an eccentric man with a Southern flair. And that wasn't me. And so while he was on the mm. set of Apollo 13, Hanks felt that Bill Paxton was the perfect part and, and helped Paxton land the role. But other people in line for this role that they were, the studio was looking at Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Dennis Quaid, John Travolta, Richard Gere, John Cusack, Nicholas Cage, wow. Bruce Willis, Val Kilmer, Kurt Russell, and Michael Keaton. I mean, Ooh. they were looking for 
this huge star. It, but yeah. then this movie would, movie would have been all about that star. Yeah. And You'd the fact the star that it, first. Yeah, this right, person, right. Bill Paxton, fits perfectly in with Gilmore Simmer Hoffman and Helen Hunt and fucking mm-hmm. Lois Smith and like all these people. He fits mm-hmm. right in with that. He doesn't outshine them. It's oh. about the team and it's about the, you know what I mean? Like it just, it's, yeah. the, it's perfect. It's mint. And this is pre Oscar Helen Hunt. And this is, right. she was big on TV. Yeah, uh, at that point, but it's like, like born you know, a sitcom star. But, yeah, but this was that Clooney era of TV, where or the David Caruso era of TV, where you're not guaranteed stardom from no. TV to, to movie. Yeah. So this was Jesus, it's a big one for her, a big role yeah. for her as well. Well, for her, this was supposed to be Laura Dern for a long time. You know, and like yeah. right, that could play. You know, because she's again, yeah. you know, fuss, it does girl like- kind of thing. Tom Hanks, you, those you, do all look like Tom Hanks outfits now that I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally seeing True. a whole new movie now that <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, watching. Yeah. Um, the only guy from that list you rattled off that I could see doing it and still kind of being country enough and like good for the group but not big as a star, probably like Dennis Quaid. Yeah. 96 yeah. era Dennis Quaid. Because yeah. sure. he's not overpowering at that point. And yeah. like that, but that everybody else is like Mel Gibson's too much. Mm. Even Val Kilmer's too Kilmer much. Kilmer like, would be yeah. good acting, but he's too good yeah. looking. But he'd like give himself like a weird tick or something. He would. Yeah. He'd be smelling out more (laughs) than dirt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and and, and the same applies. I I think of Independence Day and Twister and lockstep with each other because of that summer. I mean, and actually, and actually, Joel, you you can look for this. I don't know if it's already came out yet, but we we did a whole thing about summer blockbusters. And I think a lot of us are that are roughly the same age. I mean, this was, like you said, the heyday of, like when we think of what a blockbuster is, I mean, we think of these particular movies, these these particular years, mm-hmm. uh, and that's obviously for our age. I mean, obviously the first blockbusters being like Jaws and Star Wars and stuff like that. But, but you know, yeah, this is this is a huge period of time. But also the same thing. I, I'm interested to know, you know, with Independence Day, it kind of feels the same way. Where, you know, you had to think that maybe they were going for bigger stars because in the end, I mean, you had Will Smith who was. He just done guy. Bad, he just done yeah. Bad Boys, but he was still a TV guy. Yeah, you know. And then your other lead stars are Judd Hirsch, Jeff Goldblum, and, and Bill Pullman. You know, and Bill never Pullman. gets and, the girl, Bill Pullman. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think like I don't know if it's, but I, I kind of feel like if I went back in time, I would find all kinds of well, remember that just did this kind of stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I remember it, this was also a different economy of film too. Like this movie was over budget being an 80 90 million dollar blockbuster like this one was people were worried because like back then like you like a hundred was like a high thing to make people weren't making 100 million dollars opening weekend like they are Mm -hmm. now where they're making their budgets back in two weeks like this needed all summer to i mean it obviously hit big and great made great money but like this was a risky busted production thing that swelled to the 80s and 90s because of like practical filmmaking on set location stuff like this isn't made on a soundstage um and it's just and you've got three polishing writers trying to come in and punch it up you got joss whedon steve zalian jeff nathanson all were brought in to kind of do a couple of different things and then suspended production because of the oklahoma city bombing in 95 where you know the crew had to move over for relief and work efforts where all of that makes for an expensive risk for a movie with no big stars versus and then independence day i mean you that's just rolling Emmerich just spending money, but um, but it, it it they were able to just pull that stuff off, but they were still being able to pull these things off within reason. But it also mm. just seems like they made the best decisions for the story, not the bank. 
not not I agree. box office. Like, yeah, it, it feels like okay, we weren't able to get the stars, but we got the best we could get, and it actually works out great. Like, yeah, yeah, it just you can't. You're not going to see a movie. I mean, I know he's dead, but I'm saying you're not going to see Bill Paxton open a $200 million movie yeah. like no. in this yeah. landscape. Um, but one thing I am curious about. So, Joel, you were unable to see this on the big screen, right? Because this was during Correct. the censorship days. Yes. Correct. Have, well, you're calling one, him the censorship days. The censorship <laughs> days. Well, have you ever been, because I'll ask this question to Don since you have not seen it in the theater. Were you able to ever see it on the big screen eventually? Like in a, like a, I've uh, always like, I've been able to, like, I've been able to see my favorites on the big screen. Like I've seen Jaws. I got to see that like a bunch of times in IMAX and I'm, I live on the coast. So it, it plays a lot around here and like, you know, some mm-hmm. other favorites, Star Wars and things like that, but it's mm-hmm. never, it's never been around. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. I would be there. I'd buy, I'd, I'd see it every time it was on the screen, but it's just never been around. Yeah. Yeah. Don, what, um, what's your number on this one? How many times did you see this in the theater? At least six. Uh, six that I can remember. I think you're a, you're north of me at seven, aren't you? Yeah, this is one of my uh, magnificent sevens. Um, my record for a movie is seven. I've never yeah. broken seven, but I've seen three movies seven times. Jurassic Park was one. I saw seven times in the theater first run. I saw Twister seven times. And you'll never guess the third one. I yeah, saw I Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck. I saw seven <laughs> times in the theater. All right. Hey. Because you know, it was the heyday of, yeah. I, I grew up in Tampa. I watched spring training every day during the spring. I loved baseball so much. I would go every day to see Mr. Baseball. I do not know why. Um, but yeah, Mr. Baseball, Twister, and Jurassic Park are on my seven, the Magnificent Sevens. Um, but yeah, I had to see this as much as possible. I remember the fifth time I went to see this, I wanted to take my dad and my grandpa and we ended up getting to the theater late and we bought tickets for the next show, which was like 40 minutes later. And my dad was like, let's go see mission impossible, which I'd already seen. I didn't want to see it again. And I literally was in the theater and I was so petulant. I was being such a little bitch. I'm like, no, we are seeing (laughs) twister. And like, they're like, well, mission impossible just started. Why don't we sit down? Like, no, we are seeing mm-hmm. Twister. I want Grandpa to see Twister. Mm-hmm. And then the whole time we're watching Twister, there's like this couple behind us, the young couple, and they will not shut up. And finally, my grandfather, who's not a very like aggressive person, confrontational per- person, we're talking like 65 to 70 minutes into the movie. He finally turns around and says, will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> so I, my, my fifth viewing of Twister is, is quite memorable. But yeah, I, I, I could not get enough of this. I bought it on VHS. I bought it on original slipcase DVD. I probably, I don't think I ever got it on blue because I stopped kind of doing physical media. But I mean, I had this for the longest time and I would play this. I mean, any chance I could, I would put this on because it just, I, I always was chasing that feeling this film gives me. There's very few films that still give me the feelings that certain, like certain films just give you a feeling when you watch them. Um, You're going to have to be more specific, tingly weird guy. Well, I mean, the like, like the Blade, both the Blade Runner, movie, both yeah. the Blade Runner movies. When I put them on, I'm in. Like, I know my daughter asked me the other day. She's like, "Why don't you watch Blade Runner 2049 all the time? It's your favorite movie." I'm like, because the way I get enveloped into it, like when I hear just the mute, the Hans Zimmer music for 2049 on the DVD menu, I'm just like, like I just kind of push my seat up and I just kind of sit there and and kind of get sucked into the experience. Twister is one of those ones where like I can. 
I can almost feel the theater I was in. I can feel my age. I can feel like mm-hmm. what the what the air was like when I got out, the way I looked at st- like the way I felt at the film. Twister is one of those rare films that when I watch it still, I still get that feeling like that I'm there in it watching. I know it sounds crazy, but that's kind of where I'm at. I, it, just, it just gives me a certain feeling and I get completely sucked in it. It's like a, I get sucked back to 96 when I the watch it. Zone. The suck zone, yes. Yeah. It is the suck zone. I, I am in the suck zone when it comes to this movie, for sure. I mean, that I got to talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, this was my same thing, my first experience with him. And, and I, I probably part of me, I know he's, he's gone now. Like, and, and he's got a fantastic career of eclectic chameleon stuff. But, like, between this and like Boogie Nights, two in a row, they're 97. Like, man, I was hoping, not that he's like Jack Black or anything, but, but yeah, yeah. But, um, but not, not that he's like Jack Black by any means, but like, I kind of miss. P- PSH comedy. It just doesn't. I mean, I know he's got like a long key and poly and some weird stuff along the way, but like it's just. He's like Sean Penn. Like him. He just stopped. Yeah. He stopped. He could be like a genius comedian, but he just he, stopped. That's the thing. Like everything he did for forever was genius. Where, like, like you're saying, if, if he would have leaned on this, he could have leaned on this his whole career and been ultra successful. Well, the fact the, that he does yeah. what he does with the rest of his career is phenomenal. Because, like, wow. Well, it's look funny because. It's the opposite with like someone like a John C. Riley. He right. could have been a super dramatic actor. Like he was running down yeah. that path. And then he just decided, you know what? I'm a funny guy. I'm going to stay funny. And he's never really been back to being the drama guy. And Philip Seymour Hoffman or Sean Penn and Fast Times, like they just, they kind of steered away from that type of role and they never went back. And it makes you like being like, man, I'd love to just see Sean Penn just be goofy again. Or I'd love to see Philip Seymour Hoffman be like this crazy stoner, you know whatever yeah. like it just it, it it is but it does make you appreciate appreciate it while it's there i guess you know in a way because yeah. it's not overdone he hasn't done it six times it's it's kind of a one-off so well and also it kind of just kind of proves the caliber of actor that philip Seymour hoffman was because on paper you know that that role reads as like stoner friend and he i mean he elevated it to like literally like He's your favorite character. Like he's the MVP. Oh, yeah. He's the guy that that you know. He's the one that you want to be with. You know, he's the he's the guy you want to have on your team. You know, like there's I, this is I put it all over my social media, but because I was watching this movie the other day, I watched this movie on Father's Day. I made my family sit down like we're watching Twister, um, and then I watched it again a couple of days ago, and I was reading all like the trivia for it, and I was going like deep diving, and apparently they originally filmed this movie to be an R-rated movie. So there is be a, something to see. a bunch of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Carrie Elway's scenes that were cut because of either uh, cursing or um, there was, I guess, some more like horrific like injuries. Mm. So like now I'm like, you know, I'm like trying to like move this hashtag, release the, the, the bond cut because the Gertz cut. Release the curse. <laughs> if there's more all the sex sessions she does with her clients, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, no, he did not marry a penis. But <laughs> if you know, if there's more Philip Seymour Hoffman being dusty and being like you know crazy dusty, like I gotta, I gotta see that. I'm you with know, you. So it's funny because they did keep in one thing. Remember when Jurassic World came out and everyone was talking about how fucking mean it was? 
that the pterodactyl like right. picks up the babysitter and then drops right. it in the mouth of the whatever. This mm. movie has a pretty mean death in it, and it's not really fair. He's just Carrie Elway's driver. It's the actor yes. Zach Grenier. <laughs> Grenier he yeah. gets fucked up in yeah. this movie. And I felt so bad. I'm like, what did he do? He was just driving around. <laughs> and he he was even like, hey, we gotta turn back. And Carrie Elway's like, well, never turn back. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, should we turn back? And he is impaled on the fucking antenna. It's like, damn. <laughs> that's rude, man. That was a rude, mean death right there. Like, <laughs> that seemed pretty harsh. Right. And then he explodes in the explosion, too. It's like, yeah, he does. He does explode. That's true. <laughs> now, I, I, use, I, I am, um, as much as I love Bill Paxton, I know that there's certain, I'm not going to say limitations, but, you know, he's, I like to think of him as a little, a little hammy. And yeah. I think of Carrie Elways as a little cheesy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this does have one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema because I think I know what if you're... Carrie Elways and Bill Paxton shared even just one more minute of screen time together, the universe would have imploded with the cheesy and hamminess just colliding into each other. Okay, okay. But there's that scene where Bill Paxton hits his head off. And he goes, yeah. you stole my idea, you son of a bitch. Yeah, and then yeah. Carol was like, unrealized, unrealized, that <laughs> near. And it's like the two are like kind of hamming and cheesing at each other. Oh, and it's yeah. like just insane. And it's like one of the most insane scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Because like no one was like, should we redub this? Like, <laughs> no. It is brilliant scene. Brilliant. At one yeah. point, Bill Poxing says, you slime. Yeah, <laughs> random stuff. But again, like in with a different casting, that's like done much more machismo. We like right. if Mel Gibson's delivering these lines. It's like, you know, you what fucking stole my daughter's out here. Yeah, he, yeah. he flips a switch and he just goes right. crazy. He's doing um, it where, like right. Yeah, we're talking about an Oklahoma City weatherman who probably just doesn't have that. You know, big dick swing and swagger. He's just right. a fucking weatherman. Right. He's the crazy guy that we hear. You know, the, the the that we hear about all movie like having a past. You know, but like, but at the same time, like he probably doesn't have good digs. He probably is just gonna knock a head off and yell. And that's all you got. It's all you that, need. It, that that reminds me. I wonder if this is one of the lines because I always go. I always for whatever go. Like, you can see it if if we did video. Yeah. You can see my name is unrealized. But um, <laughs> I also quote. I also learned about insurance from this movie. Despite the fact that my dad's an insurance agent, I never gave a shit to figure it out. Liability like, only. And he goes, liability only, with the big smirk on his face. I asked my dad, I'm like, what's that mean? And he told me, and now like all the time, like if I see a wreck, I'll go, liability <laughs> only. <laughs> I like, um, I like the Paxton uh, Hunt conversation, like after the the singing montage that gets the cars on the road, mm-hmm. where they like break down their relationship and they just mm-hmm. they just snip at each other, mm-hmm. and and they kind of veer off the, off the road. And the they, road. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like their car, their little banter back and forth, like in a different movie. Again, that would just be overly melodramatic and not as realistically snippy as those are two people who are getting yeah. divorced. Yeah. You know, super yeah. plain, super it, legit, and just and their scene. And their scene, I think it's the F. It's either the F three or the F four when they try to get the Dorothy up, and it does it fails, and she's running in the rain, and he's grabbing mm-hmm. her and kind of mm-hmm. like that is some great like me Joe, like just that yeah. that is like some powerful. You really can't acting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that, that's some. I'm, that's really good stuff. That that's a great scene where I remember as a kid, like just being like, wow, this is. 
This is like adult emotion, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, but it was like adult stuff yeah. too. Like but when mean, you're 13, yeah, yeah, and 16, like, yeah. I was like, yeah, but I think I still think it's moving. Even at 40, I, I still get very yeah. swept yeah. up in that because you know it's they have been. You can tell they don't want to get divorced, but they are, mm-hmm. and they've kind of been fight. Like they've done all the stages where like they're sniping at each other, they're having good laughs with each other, they're trying to like be friendly, you know, and this is that moment where it's like, he's getting out all those years of like, you cannot, you cannot predict it. You can't chase this stuff. And you know, it just, it, it just, it feels so lived in. Like you feel like you can tell they were a real couple like that. Mm, yeah. Through some shit. And I just, I just love that. Uh, it's a, it's a great, all of their scenes together. They have great chemistry together. I think. I think that their whole relationship is, is done really well. There's that great scene with Jamie Gertz, and Helen Hunt at the counter where they're both paying for like drinks. And, oh yeah. And she's Good like, one. you're still in love with them. And like the looks on Helen Hunt's face, is just like, yeah, this is awkward as fuck. And then she's like, not that, <laughs> not, not that I don't blame you. She's like, but I hope this isn't just, a, you know, a, an attempt to keep him in your life. And she's like, check please. But like, you, <laughs> like just from that whole, that, that moment on, it's just like, she, when, when, when Bill Paxton first comes to town to get her to sign the papers, she then she takes off her wedding ring. She's like, oh, I still have this yeah. thing on. And like, you can tell like there's still this longing there, but yeah, I, I don't know. it's just, yeah, it's a great movie. Great, great relationship. That's, that's not forced. Well, and it's, and it's part of the plot. Yeah. Not, not, not right. added to the plot. Well, and then you involve very... all the teammates where like mm-hmm. they, uh, they, you could tell this is a friend group that all like the dinner scene in Wakita, like where they're yeah. all like, they all know each other so well. Imminent ruin. Yes, <laughs> but like despite the divorce going on with the two mains, like everyone's still super invested in that. That they hope both of these two crazy cats, not not necessarily like no one's getting in there. You're like guys, you should really stay together. They, they just hope either one of them are okay. You know, like there's not that yeah. obligatory scene of like choosing sides and I'm in your tribe and no, 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 no. They're just one. They're there for the weather and the fun, but at the same time, like they just want those two to be all right because they probably deserve to be all right for their lives and you don't see the 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 the, the rosie o'donnell best friend who's just you know you need to leave him girl like none of that shit's going on which is great you know (laughs) well and also i I think it's a really unique way to to play the whole you're selling out angle like he used to chase storms and now he's just gonna be a weatherman and there was a fucking weatherman like you know i I love your weather reports bail you know just that shit you know yeah (laughs) yeah but i I think that's a really unique spin on it it's like yeah you probably want to be like you know a weatherman making a lot more money than throwing yourself in the storms but i like that they play that whole angle of like He's got to get to his roots and like risk his life to smell yeah. to get inside the finger yeah. of God or whatever. You know? <laughs> the days of sniffing the dirt are over. Oh man, <laughs> that's a. a I, I just have a lot of memories yeah. of just going I, to the movies, watching this movie, just the, the emotions it brings, the feelings it brings. It's just it's it's definitely an all timer. I mean, sure. I know I know the answer to this, but like compared to the action movies today and i know my answer but like this has to still hold up to to the people in this call right now right well it's because i think the effects I, are still very yeah, I, I think, ahead of their time and doing pretty good um the, the plot way. and people angle is is always still great you mm-hmm. we have this philip seymour hoffman time capsule where we're all we always we always have paris we'll always have twister you know we'll always have dusty so well, I think it's, and now we have that for Bill Paxton too. Like this is a seminal place to come and enjoy an, mm-hmm. a legit OG summer blockbuster that I hope 
keeps carrying audiences from from here on out. But you're well, you're waffling. What do you think? I don't know why, and I don't think it's a nostalgia thing because it's yeah. an eye test thing. For some reason, ninety five to ninety seven, ninety eight, I think there was the perfect balance mm. of yes. CG. And I mean, I guess you could go as far as Jurassic Park. 93. Changed, but, yeah. Well, but yeah, but I, when I think of stuff like when I watch something like the fifth element today, it still looks better than 80% of modern blockbusters. Hell yes. Jack. Twister looks better than I'd say 70%. Independence mm-hmm. Day still looks fucking phenomenal. <sighs> so much practical stuff. Yeah. And, that's, and that, and that is the, I think they found that perfect balance. There, there's something that they were, I don't know when the turning point is. I don't know when. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was it's there the was matrix. definitely. Some... It's the Matrix. Now, the Matrix. Everyone thought they could do that and do that louder and better than okay. the Matrix. Okay, I was going to say, because the Matrix is great. I, I, so you're great. saying like, no, no, the, no, imitators, no. the imitators yeah. of trying to make the Matrix for like the next 10 years. Yeah. And even the Matrix itself, the Matrix reloaded when Weird. Yeah. they had the scene where he's fighting all the Smiths. And there's a moment where you can tell it stops being stuntmen and it starts being computer men, mm-hmm. you know? And, and once I started seeing that, I was like, okay, they're, they're starting to get a disconnect. And now we have things yeah. like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania where that's 99% all CG and there's no, mm-hmm. there's nothing physical or tangible about it. Yeah. And so I, I'm no, I know it's not just a nostalgia thing for, for that. I know it's just an eye test thing. Something about, the nineties. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's like the lawnmower mans and the virtuosities and stuff like that, where they, 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 they swung a little bit too soon. Yeah. Head yeah. over their skis. Yep. Yeah. But for the most part, Mars attack. Yeah, yeah. Good I, one. Oh, that's a good one. Or yeah. yeah but I just kind of feel like there was just this pocket where they, they knew. I just, uh, just, just what to use for practical and miniatures and models and computers. The computers supplemented. Yeah. The hands Weren't the whole stuff. show. Supplement. I think there's a, I, think, I think a lot of that is like us craving nostalgia for like miniatures and models and you know and and, and liking that. But also, I think Steven Spielberg being like foremost among these of of blending the early uh, CGI with practical effects and the and you see now that the people that do it nowadays that and now Scorsese has gotten a little out of hand with it. But mm-hmm. but like the David Finchers of the world, where or 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 the um, uh, for for a couple of different movies, uh, Ang Lee, where where there's there's a if you if you were to strip back all the CGI, you'd be like surprised at how much CGI are in True. these people's movies. But they're blending it and they're using it in such a great way with the practical effects that it's 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 seamless. And yeah. And I, I, yeah, I, I would say but blend, the, the but last, not replace. The yeah. last example of this, I, I think the last successful example of what you're talking about, Joel, is probably Lord of the Rings. And yeah. you can, and there's no diff. You can tell because you can watch Lord of the Rings and you can watch the Hobbit trilogy, and mm. you can tell the difference between someone who is supplementing visuals or using CGI as a supplement mm-hmm. in the Lord of the Rings, because there was so much model work, so many bigotures as they called it, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then the Hobbit, which feels like it's 90% all C- it feels CG. Like it just has that yeah. CG look. Uh, Indiana Jones is another great one. You know, those movies, mm-hmm. the original three were known. I mean, yeah. Raiders lost Ark at the end. gets a little crazy with the visuals, but for the most part, there was a temple of doom last crusade, great blend. Look, 
couple of little visual effects shots here, but a lot of miniatures and actual stunt work. And then you get to something like Crystal Skull, and it's like, holy right. shit! Like, I just they lost the plot somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't. I feel like I feel like Jurassic Park was the start of that perfect zone, and Lord of the Rings is the end. And I and yeah, somewhere after two thousand three, just everything fell apart. And I, 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 with the exception of like, every now and then I'll see something like I said, a Blade Runner twenty forty nine or, or yeah. even Guardians three this year. Guardians three this year, the visual effects are probably some of the best I've ever seen in a movie. Pretty good. But for the most part, they just never look. It just yeah. never looks right like this one does. I never for one moment. Do not believe that a twister is chasing these people. Like True. I do never yeah. not believe it. Well, that's because so. the only thing fake in the screen is the twister. They're throwing you hear all the stories from the sets of like the ice and the wind when the and the debris that would like cut eyes and people's skins. Like they're throwing everything but the kitchen sink and cows at these folks where the cow and the twister are probably the only CGI things we think of. So yep. it's just so you said it best. Supplement, supplement and not lean on and emphasize so it's that's so what twisters is going to be i guarantee you twisters i'm so is i'm scared to like death disaster look, that was gonna be my look. closing question is our predictions of what the heck twisters can be yeah I, i'm here to tell you that i think that twisters is going to be successful i don't think it's going to be as my i'm gonna keep my expectations like in line i don't have low yeah. expectations i have like i think i have like minimal expectations liazic chung is a great director minari there's other films out there that you can yeah. see, but he's a very grounded director. The lead is Mr. Superman, Cronin Sweat. And it's got Kieran yeah, Shurka. Kieran Shurka, yeah. who's shined and a lot wow. uh, in, in her television show. And and then if you if you look at the other cast that they're adding, they've got some studs here. They're peppering in some some pretty great talent um, that you wouldn't necessarily uh, expect. But you got um, Sasha Lane, who who's who's a really good. She it's was uh, American yeah. uh, American Honey, super grounded, very personal type of actress. Anthony yeah. Ramos, Glenn Powell in the Heights, um, Glenn Powell. Shit, there you go. And then you got uh, Brandon Perea, who is who was so great in Nope uh, as the kind of outsider yeah. security specialist that kind of came in. Yeah. So it's got I'll even, I'll even young, take Daryl McCormack from. Uh, Good night and good luck to Leo Grande. You know, like yes. he's coming on the scene. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you got there's talent there. There's young yeah. talent that are that I feel like are really good at playing and interpersonally, which I feel like they're getting like a team together. And if they can yeah. all play together well and mesh well with what's gonna be like a CGI fest, most likely. But if they can keep it grounded and they have the actors to do it, I have I have I have, you know, hopes. You're your screenwriter is the Revenant guy, you know, Overlord, you know, a, a small time history is a screenwriter. They're throwing a $200 million budget at the movie. So, you know, they're going to bunch up those effects. So, yeah. yeah, we'll see what happens here. It's supposed I to be shooting as we speak. So there's very few. And I've learned my lessons on this because I try not to be beholden to source material and give things a shot. I mean, for the longest time. I wouldn't see the Rob Zombie Halloween movies because I'm so beholden to the original. And while the first Rob Zombie Halloween is not great, the second one is amazing and I shouldn't have waited so long to watch it. So I'm hesitant to just outright boycott anything, but there's just so many things. There's so many things that I've loved that have been ruined more than 
but let's just say the Blade Runner 2049s are the rarity. They're the exception, not the rule to the other things. There's too many Jurassic Worlds out there. You know, there's too many, there's too many examples of taking stuff that I love and ruining it. And I don't want to be beholden to this. And it, I just, I don't know how, I mean, I guess if they were able to do it with Top Gun, maybe they can do it with Twister, like have that connection. But without Bill Paxton, I just don't know how. That's the hard part. Yeah. I, you know, because he's such a fundamental piece of DNA for that movie. It would be like making Aliens without Sigourney Weaver. This wouldn't make yeah. sense to me. Even um, even no Philip yeah. Seymour, it's going to hurt, you know? Yeah, hey. I mean, I mean, uh, I don't know. I. I'm trying to stay, I'm going to try to stay neutral. I have no expectations. Am I going to see it in the theater? I, I yeah, might are. not even commit to that. I don't know. I, oh. I don't know if I can. Yeah, I yeah, might yeah. wait for digital on that one. Okay. Have me on the, have me on the podcast. Well, that way we'll make sure that Will watches in the theater. I'm going to make a Damn prediction straight. right now. Glenn Powell is Carrie Elloway's son, and he's going to say, Unrealized. Unrealized. Ah, that would be. He can I do it too. He's that. got that swarmy, like punchable face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Twister right, killed fella. my dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, we'll wrap us up. First things first, Joel. Tell us where the folks can find you on social media. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you can find me Winstead's reviews wherever you ingest social media. I have a podcast. Um, it's called Are you on Threads. I am I'm on, I'm on threads as well. Yeah. If you go to my oh. Instagram, you'll see that I'm the 400,000th threader. Um, oh. That's where I'm it shows what number you are. In uh, the Winter Was podcast, you can find that wherever you get podcasts. Um, if you listen to it, you'll be the third one to listen to it. Uh, yeah. Find me on Letterboxd, Joel Winstead. I'm around. I mean, I'm an egomaniac and I haven't even listened to my own episodes. So. Come on, <laughs> boost those numbers, man. Help them out. That's true. I, every time I'm I subscribed, so that doesn't count. Um, well, uh, I'm not going to be like an idiot and point to the shirt that I'm wearing because I'm not on video, but uh, we do have merch now. We have shirts, stickers, all kinds of cool stuff with Cinephile Hissy Fit. Every movie has a lesson, and the super local, hopefully, future national uh, uh, free blockbuster uh, movement that Don is starting in uh, Chicago. Um, but yeah, go to the T Republic storefront at every movie has a lesson.com and buy some of our shirts and walk around and, and promote the show. I walked around the Scottsdale fashion square mall all day today with my cinephile, his fit shirt. Uh, no one approached me. No one recognized me. No one probably cares. Cause I was in fashion square and everybody there is worth like $900 billion and could care less about a schlubby old teacher like me. But regardless, I still tried. And you should too. Follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit, on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, and Instagram at Cinephile Fits. Find me and Don by name on Letterboxd to check out our film reviews and ratings. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership in our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25YL Media. If you enjoyed this show, the Ruminations, blah, 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 the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts who have better diction and spirited topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show. Otherwise, our dreams will be unrealized. And others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast, you son of a bitch.